0: Hi, I'm Valerie, and you're listening to The Beauty Brains. <clears throat> Welcome to The Beauty Brains, a show where real cosmetic chemists answer your beauty product questions and give you an insider's look at the cosmetic industry. This is episode 265. I'm your host, Valerie George, and with me today is Perry Romanowski. Hi, Perry.
1: Hello, Valerie. Big show today
0: huge show it is our 100th episode together exactly
1: yeah if uh you're new to the beauty brains uh you and you haven't checked out episodes (laughs) pre-165 that's where i had done been doing this show with someone else for then but valerie came on half uh i guess almost halfway through the show and uh, we've been together for 100 episodes can you believe it
0: I it's crazy. And it's been so fun. Uh I remember being so nervous at first. And of course, like I knew you, but we had to like build our rapport together and stuff like that. So now I feel like we're in a good rhythm. Yeah. Um. You know, we know our places in the show. I'm the person that uses product. You're the <laughs> person that doesn't use product, <laughs> which I think our fans appreciate.
1: One of my favorite moments happened, I think it was even in the last show, when I started to riff on a thing and you were able to finish my sentence because you've heard it so many times. (laughs) That was when I say, you know, when you try a treatment, there are three things that can happen. It gets better, gets worse, or nothing changes.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, you know, we're we're great together, and I think our fans are really loving it.
1: I think so. Uh, You know, Valerie, uh, I had been going through some of the previous shows just to, you know, I'd remember which uh, questions were kind of my favorites and which were. uh... They're fun
0: to reminisce through. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: There's a lot of great ones. We thought that it would be fun to play our very first show together. Yep. Before we do that, did you have any favorite episodes that you recall?
0: Well, I'll tell you why we wanted to play the very first episode uh, where we were together, because it's awkward and it's very painful <laughs> to sit through. You know, we were still working on the sound quality and, of course, uh, me establishing myself in the show. But also, I mean, that's one reason, right? But the, the sure. real reason is I have loved doing so many of these episodes. I can't possibly pick a favorite. Now, I have favorite questions, really memorable questions, uh, but to to pick like one single favorite episode, that's pretty tough to do.
1: I agree. It was it was too tough for me too. But I did go through and pick out some of my more favorite questions that we covered. Okay. One of the ones way early on. Was uh, I always like the shows where you can describe, I think, your pure expertise or your most expert in hair color. And one of the first times we covered hair color was in episode 165. We talked about the difference between natural and synthetic hair colors. And I thought you, you covered it really well. We got another hair care question, don't we?
0: Also an anonymous one. This reader and follower of Beauty Brains wants to know what the difference is between hair color and all-natural hair color. And although you can't see me, I did put all-natural in air quotes because that's what the asker of the question did. You obviously need dyes. You need an alkalizer, which is an ingredient like ammonia or MEA that creates this high pH environment. Got it. you need antioxidants because these dyes oxidize together to form a color and you don't want that happening in the tube you want that happening on your hair you need hydrogen peroxide and you need hair and most people laugh when i say that but it's actually true the, the reaction does oh yes yeah. so those are questions i can answer off the cuff and i love talking about hair color uh, i could talk about it all day but we won't hear. so <laughs> um yeah i I would have to say, um, yes, I've really enjoyed those questions as well. But one of my favorite questions where I laughed the hardest uh, was in episode 253, uh, where Misty wrote us and she tried this uh, miracle moisture conditioner uh, that was based on um, chocolate. And she thought, you know what, this looks really interesting. Uh, You know, uh, let me... Try it. Something I've never looked at before. And uh, she thought the bottle was brown. I'm like, oh, cool. Look, look at this little independent brand. And she got in the shower and plopped it in her hand. And the conditioner was dark, uh, uh, yeah. darker brown. <laughs> and she was like, uh, why why is this conditioner brown? It was like <laughs> dripping everywhere in the shower. Oh, my. And uh, she said that uh, the main benefit was uh, chocolate and cocoa powder. And um, I, she sent the picture in of her... <laughs> Holding the product and I was laughing so hard because I could just like picture it and it was like huh
1: yes for sure (laughs) yeah yeah oh man well you know that reminds me of one of my our favorite or one of my favorite news stories that we covered back in episode Uh 225 it was is coffee waste the next hot ingredient (laughs)
0: so nobody should be wasting coffee yeah. Um and then I think uh one of my favorite things that we do is sometimes we just rant. Uh sometimes that feels really good to like blow off some steam and just vent to to people like uh, our fans who understand where yeah. we're coming from where yeah. it's just like some of the the quackery uh, and puffery that we see is really just uh incredible and um you know TikTok launching oh, uh, my. while we're on and all of the true scientific information you can get from tiktok <laughs> really Where's going that? through that it's, oh, yeah. yeah it's just been a lot of fun yeah so.
1: it has been um another uh, another moment that i liked is when uh, you discovered that i spray sunscreen in my face
0: <laughs> i was <laughs> what horrified a terrible yeah, idea. Right. uh
1: that was back in uh episode 100, <laughs> i remember 175 I wish I yeah
0: I wish I could have screenshotted my my face because <laughs> yeah. I was just like, in in shock, yeah. in utter shock. Oh my gosh.
1: We had some controversial moments on Instagram, but probably one of the most is when. Uh, remember, I said change my view. Uh, Diet does not affect acne. <laughs>
0: Oh yeah, people didn't like that. So Maybe. that is one thing new to the show is us growing our Instagram over this last year.
1: Yeah.
0: And our last 100 episodes and uh we've been doing those things because we, you know, we like to hear other people's opinions sure. and I think it's genuine when we say change our view, right? If people can provide compelling scientific back data, but uh you know, we still get comments on that post to this day and people are <laughs> like Pretty angry.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Some people are angry. Uh, hey, I can be convinced. I just haven't seen the evidence. Valerie, uh, one of the things before we play the uh, our first show, one of the things that uh, I'll, I'll quiz you on, uh, which do you think is our most downloaded episode?
0: Uh-oh. Uh, I'm going to say the most downloaded one is, is it something about hair loss?
1: No, uh, it was actually episode Give two- me a hint. Uh, it was episode 227.
0: <laughs> what happened in episode 227?
1: I do not know, but uh, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know why this one's particularly special, but the title of it is The Most Misleading Cosmetic Claims, and that episode has been listened to more than any of the other ones we've done together.
0: Wow, uh, well, that certainly is an attention, grab- attention grabbing headline. We did that was uh, July two thousand twenty, just a couple of months into the pandemic. Episode two twenty seven, yeah. uh, we were talking about my skin peel that I got. Uh, we cats, can- uh, well, what episode haven't we talked cats? Right? <laughs> uh- <laughs> yeah, we had cats. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how much? How can you be sure you're getting UVA protection from your sunscreen? Can essential oils be used as preservatives? Why do azelaic acid products uh, mostly come in uh, gel form? Does when conditioner cause hair to fall out? That was a research oh, follow a, up we did. That's And right. a we did a free from discussion and what we thought the worst or most misleading beauty claims were, and we had some pretty good ones on there.
1: I I thought so too. You know, just back on the cats thing momentarily. You know, <laughs> my how's your my, how's porch kitty. First of all, there's three porch kitties now <laughs> that are just coming by.
0: And, You're a porch cat dad.
1: And there's a there was an article in People Magazine, of all places, uh, talking about the Chicago Feral Cat Program, where they release feral cats in Chicago to take care of all the rats. And so <laughs> those guys could be part of it.
0: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah. Well, you know, the fans do love the cat chat because uh, we get lots of recommendations uh, in our social media inboxes with, oh, has Perry seen this? How how are the cats doing? So they do love them. And uh, what I'm excited about, because this is the next thing we're getting a lot of chatter about, is the next time you and I are together, we're hitting this spa together.
1: Yeah, I can't wait for that. I'm vaccinated, so I can, I can fly.
0: <laughs> you don't sound like you can't wait for that.
1: Uh, Yeah, no, no, that'll that'll be great. (laughs) Actually, I'm, I'm itching to get somewhere, so I'd love to go to California.
0: Yeah, we're having absolutely beautiful weather right now. So, um, Perry, thank you for the last 100 episodes. I can't wait for the next 100. We have so much stuff uh, that's really exciting coming up this year.
1: And thank you, Valerie. You've uh, helped bring the show back, and I'm looking forward to the next hundred and next thousand episodes. (laughs)
0: Because I'm much more fun and cuter than Randy. I'm just kidding.
1: <laughs> no, this, these are both true statements. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Sorry, Randy.
1: <laughs> Hello, and welcome to The Beauty Brains, a show where real scientists answer your beauty questions and give you an insider's look at the beauty product industry. I'm your host, Perry Romanowski. On today's episode, we're going to be answering questions about dying gray hair, whether silicone is bad for curly hair, if stem cells are good anti aging ingredients, and we'll ponder why some people think all natural is better. We'll also cover a couple of beauty science stories in the news. But first, we should start with an update of what's been going on with this show. So, it's been a little time since we've done an episode of the Beauty Brains. Now, Randy has gone off to other endeavors, and I've been busy with my formulation website, Chemist's Corner. However, I really miss doing the Beauty Brains podcast. And plus, the amount of beauty product nonsense and marketing hype really seems to have multiplied s- since the start of this year uh, when we had stopped doing regular broadcasts. That's why we decided to bring back the show. We'll follow generally the same format, but we may experiment with some new things like interviews or maybe other segments. But before we get to the main show, I should introduce our newest beauty brain, Valerie George. Hello, Valerie. Hi, Perry. Valerie, you're new to the show, new voice. Uh, Why don't you tell us a little bit about you and maybe how you got started in the beauty business?
0: Sure, Perry. As he said, my name is Valerie and I run research and development for the world's largest privately owned salon brand. And I consider myself somewhat of a hair and hair color expert. I first started in the industry about eight years ago and started in makeup, liked it, but didn't love it. And soon found my way into hair care uh, where I started working in hair color. And I haven't looked back since.
1: Yeah. I
0: love cosmetic science and I love communicating about the industry.
1: Yeah, and we met through the Society of Cosmetic Chemists, I guess. We are both cosmetic chemists. Yes. This is usually where uh, I do some sort of uh, obscure chit-chat about myself, but since it's a new show, we'll save that for a later time. (laughs) Why don't we get started with some beauty science news? First up, Valerie, why don't you... Talk to us about that CoverGirl story and their move to become cruelty-free.
0: So I saw CoverGirl posting a press release a couple weeks ago about their desire to help end testing cosmetic products on animals. And they've now certified their brand as cruelty-free. There's been a lot of buzz and excitement over such a large company, taking a stand for making cosmetics cruelty-free, and I found it very interesting because a lot of brands are already doing this, but no one's really talking about it.
1: Yeah, it really seemed like uh, all the big guys were getting into it. I saw Unilever did something, L'Oreal was doing something, now Cody. It's uh, it's really the hot thing. Not a, not a, it, This is kind of like a smaller brand kind of thing, but now the big guys seem to be doing it too.
0: Well, CoverGirl definitely isn't alone in the industry, whether it's uh, big brands or small brands. A lot of people are doing this because I think being vegan is one thing, but being cruelty free and making sure your products and the ingredients in the products aren't tested on animals is just be- it's beyond a consumer preference.
1: It seems like a big challenge for these companies, though. Like, how do you verify that your ingredients aren't uh tested, right? its I mean, it's easy to say that my products are not tested on animals, you know, just don't test them on animals. But, you know, all the ingredients that they get, I mean, cosmetic companies generally don't make their own raw materials. So they don't really have a good way of knowing whether their suppliers have tested on animals or maybe the the suppliers, if they get ingredients from distributors, if they can prove that their ingredients are safe without having been tested on animals. I, I just don't know how they do that.
0: Well, it certainly is a big step in terms of securing documentation and having trust in your supplier that what they are putting on that piece of paper is true. I think when we're talking about new ingredients coming to market, it is challenging to provide substantiation for safety because the old way was testing on animals. And now, fortunately, there are some new methods that are allowing companies to, ingredient companies, to test their ingredients uh, that are in vitro and in vivo that aren't using animals. So that's good to hear.
1: Yeah, I think ultimately this is a a claim that's going to go away rather soon because, you know, the EU has already banned animal testing of cosmetics. Um, I think Canada was looking at it. I know California was looking at doing something which could set the tone for everybody in the United States. I mean, I just think it's going to be just one of those things. Yeah, every, every company is already... Uh, anti-animal testing.
0: Exactly. I think it's beyond a consumer preference, beyond a trend, and it will become the new normal. I totally agree with you.
1: The, 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 one, the one thing I really don't like about those cruelty-free claims, though, is the products, cruelty-free is not the right word. I mean, the products are not free from cruelty, you know, because a lot of these ingredients are from uh, agriculture, and there are lots of you know bunnies and mice that get ground up when plants are uh, harvested not to mention the insects that are all killed so you know from that standpoint i don't see them as as cruelty free maybe just less cruel
0: <laughs> i guess it depends how far we want to take the legal definition of cruelty free
1: yeah exactly but bottom line what do you what do you think this means for consumers
0: I think consumers should know that because of the EU restrictions and what's already happening in the marketplace, a lot of brands, they're already not testing their products on animals. And it's great to see that CoverGirl has made this commitment, but a lot of brands are already doing it. So you know, check labels, check websites to make sure that you're purchasing from a brand that does not, purchase, uh, does not test on animals. I think it's also important to recognize that certain geographies do require animal testing to enter the marketplace. So for example, in China, um, animal testing has been a requirement for some time on finished goods. And it's been hard for brands to make a decision about whether or not to sell in that marketplace.
1: Right. It is a dilemma for brands because if they sell in China, does that taint their entire company, you know, because maybe they don't animal test for stuff in the United States, but if they do in China, does that sort of tar and feather the entire company? Yeah, it's a, it's a challenge.
0: And it doesn't leave a good taste in my mouth either to know that, but business is business, I guess.
1: Yeah, I guess so. And if it bothers you, then uh, you have to, uh, you know, just because something is not verified doesn't mean they do test on animals uh, because you have to pay like extra money to the, uh, the cruelty-free people to what was
0: the name of that uh cruelty free international all right right from that so
1: you have to pay extra money because they're going to go and verify but uh it, you could see how like a smaller brand who doesn't test on animals they don't want to pay that extra extra amount of money though to get certified i think the bottom line of what this means for consumers though is that you know getting rid of animal testing means that uh the products of the future probably won't be much different than the stuff we have now at least until we get uh animal testing alternatives?
0: Yeah, I I don't think we'll see a difference in our products, but I think this is more a difference in the way of people are running their businesses. So you don't have to worry about your favorite product changing anytime soon.
1: Exactly, all right. Let's move on to the second story here before we get to questions. Um, I got this email from the PR firm that does the work for the Environmental Working Group, the EWG. Now this is a group uh, located out there in California, um, they, they seem to exist to propagate fear about cosmetics. Okay. I'm a little biased. <laughs> um, well, they sent me this notice, uh, crowing about how they were mentioned on the Keeping Up with the Kardashians reality TV show. And I think they wanted to get booked, uh, on the, on the podcast, right? <laughs> they must, they must not listen to the show. <laughs> Anyway, uh, they were mentioned on the show because the EWG has an app for rating various products based on their system and their the information they have in their Skin Deep database. you familiar with the Skin Deep database?
0: Yes, I am. They do a pop-up every time you visit their website to let you know how safe they are making sure your ingredients are.
1: Oh, that's very, very kind of them. <laughs> well, the database is not only just a tool for them to get donations. It's, it's also a collection of information about the ingredients in cosmetics. So the people at the EWG, they kind of created this uh, arbitrary sort of non-science-based rating system uh, where they give a number to an ingredient based on what they think uh, its toxicity is. Um, and then that app that they have, they have the ingredient list from the product makers, and then they can Give the score of an of a product based on how it's represented in the Skin Deep database. Um, so, so I guess that's the whole system. But there's there are a lot of holes in this system, uh, this this database uh, that I've seen over the years. And uh, I, I I looked at it again today and verified that these holes are still there. So first, um, one of my biggest problems with the the rating system is that it ignores the very important notion in toxicology that the dose makes the poison, right? So that means, you know, things can cause problems at some really high concentration, but they could be perfectly fine at a low concentration. For example, like, you have one beer, you're perfectly fine, and you have 15 beers, well, <laughs> that'll affect you differently, right? Or how about eating one piece of pie is perfectly fine, but eating the whole thing makes you feel sick. You know, um, I, I made a pumpkin pie this, this week uh, for Thanksgiving, but you're not a pumpkin pie eater, are you? <laughs>
0: No, actually, I'm allergic to all four spices that go into pumpkin pie, really? so I had to avoid it for many years, yeah. It was very difficult at first because um, pumpkin spice, all things nice, but uh, now I, it doesn't even bother me anymore.
1: Uh, see, I see. You know, whenever I cook, I have one secret ingredient, sort of my signature ingredient. You know what that ingredient is?
0: Um, cinnamon?
1: No, pumpkin spice.
0: Oh, that's an actual spice?
1: Yeah, there's a pumpkin spice. It's a blend of nutmeg cinnamon and something else.
0: Clove, ginger.
1: Exactly. And you're allergic to it. Yep. But that is all relevant here because that just demonstrates to you that you can't really put a number on ingredients because all people around the country are (laughs) allergic or react differently to different ingredients. And the dose of that really does matter.
0: Exactly. This is one of the oldest principles in alchemy. There was, a, I think, a alchemist named P- Paracelsus um, von Hohenheim. We used to learn about him when I was in the chemistry fraternity in college. But he uh, really coined this adage that the dose makes the poison to define the basic principle of toxicology.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it turns out that... Any ingredient can actually be toxic, right? If you have a high enough dose. Um, in fact, people, people die from too much exposure to water. So, you know, giving ingredients some simple number rating for toxicity, it's, I find it just misleading and actually quite unhelpful. You know, another problem that I have is that the EWG, they don't employ any toxicologists. You know, toxicologists, the scientists who specifically study the safety of ingredient. Now, don't you think it's strange that there are no toxicologists on staff?
0: I do. And I've questioned that before um, on social media with them without any response.
1: Well, I looked at their website because they list their whole staff on the website. And in just going through that, they had a couple of people who have backgrounds in science, but, you know, it's 30 people in the company. There's like two people, but nobody has a degree in toxicology. But, you know, if they really cared about accuracy, would, wouldn't they consult toxicologists when making an ingredient safety database?
0: You think they would. These people have special training to understand uh, all sorts of safety data from Reprotoxicity, mutagenicity, car- carcinogenicity, they they really specialize in this. So I, I find that shocking. They would provide a, a toxic rating, but not have a toxicologist do that safety assessment.
1: <sighs> yeah, go figure. Uh, although I should say that I'm sure you can find scientists who, you know, they would expound non-scientific opinions about things. So just being a scientist doesn't automatically mean that the opinion is right, but it's a better start than not having one, right? I- mm-hmm. The the reality about this simple rating system, though, is I don't think it works for cosmetic ingredients. You know, as much as sites like the EWG want to make it work, science and toxicology is pretty complicated, and you're not making yourself safer by using their app. That is the bottom line. And unless you have a known allergic reaction to an ingredient, this app certainly isn't going to help you. At least I don't think so. I agree. Now, the article does go on to parrot the other standard misleading talking points that you see from the EWG, like the idea that cosmetic products are not safety tested. They are safety tested. And then the idea that the, uh, with a low EWG ratings, that some product that has a low EWG rating is going to be more safe than ones with a higher rating. They're not safer. And the notion that new cosmetic uh, regulatory legislation is going to make products more safe, in my opinion, it's not going to.
0: It definitely won't. I think one of the things that's missing here that consumers don't necessarily uh, remember is that it is illegal to put unsafe products on the market by the FDA. And, you know, while the onus is on the brand to substantiate the safety of products, this app really isn't going into the the brand's formula and ingredient architecture and able to create a proper assessment. It's not. It's a surface level look at what they can find from Google. And I don't think that's the best way to provide safety information on a product to people.
1: Exactly. So what, is, what can we do? I mean, I think As as consumers, I think you can assume that products that are bought in stores and produced by big corporations, they are safe. The things you really have to worry about most, in my opinion, is products made by small companies who may or may not do safety testing, at least here in the United States. I agree. Okay, are we ready to cover uh, a couple of listener questions?
0: Yeah, let's do it.
1: Here's our first beauty question. Are human stem cells effective in anti-aging products? You know, coincidentally, I just read a story about a new skincare line that incorporates both plant and human stem cells. <laughs> this is, this is just the type of marketing, uh, that I find a bit annoying because it's just completely misleading, right? There aren't stem cells in the product. No, no matter what that company's claims about their skin cream, they don't have stem cells in, right? No, absolutely not. You just have to know how science works, right? <laughs> so and uh it, what, if you if you know a little bit about stem cells and what they are, it kind of becomes clear. So, let me just take a brief look at what stem cells are. So, stem cells are living cells that are undifferentiated and they're a, a bit like the cells that start uh, every em- embryo when the sperm and egg fuse to create that embryo. Uh, they contain all of the DNA information to make an entire human being. It's actually quite, quite cool. And, or if it's a plant DNA, it has the whole thing to create a plant. Now, when the embryos start to grow, most of their cells differentiate into things like skin cells or brain cells or heart cells or, and all the different organs in your body, right? And while nearly every cell in the body has the same DNA material, the DNA code is expressed differently. So, you end up getting the different organs, right? So it's like your your DNA is one big recipe book and the organs are made by following dif- different recipes in the same book, and this is called cellular differentiation. Okay, well, stem cells, they don't differentiate this way. They maintain their potential to become pretty much any type of organ. They also have an unlimited ability to divide and live. See, most differentiated human cells can only divide about 50 generations before they die. They're subject to what's called the Hayflick limit, and they have a built-in program that kind of kills them off. So, and scientists theorize that the reason the cells have this is to prevent cancer, and that's probably a good guess. But stem cells are not restricted as such, right? Uh, that's why they're so promising for curing diseases or regrowing organs. So imagine this, if you could take your own skin stem cells and then grow new patches of your own young skin uh, in the lab and then putting it on all the spots where you might have scars or other tissue damage. You know, this technology says you could get rid of wrinkles or signs of aging or pretty much do it what you want. I mean, the potential is what makes this a really promising treatment for anti-aging products. Are you excited about stem cells yet, Valerie?
0: No, (laughs) (laughs) only because I know what's coming. I I know the science, so keep going, do tell.
1: Well, the problem with this is that while there's this great potential, this is just the kind of thing that cosmetic marketers like to use where they can kind of dupe consumers and, and, uh, and, and put this high-tech-sounding, promising-sounding technology into formulations. So the problem is, if stem cells could really reverse aging, well, why wouldn't you do this? Well, let's talk about why. Because the thing is, stem cells only work if they're alive. And living stem cells are not being put into these skin creams. If they were, they would have to have like a special growth medium and be kept in specific temperatures and fed with agar or something like that. And they'd also need to be refreshed with new food, right? You have to keep feeding them to keep them alive. Stem cells contained in creams, they're not created that way. They just create a cream. You throw like a stem cell extract or something in there. Uh, At best, you've got a cream that's filled with dead stem cells that have no potential to do anything.
0: Yeah, I think, too, people keep saying that they have these stem cells in their, their products, and the companies are really selling stem cells that are lysed, that are split open and all of the quote unquote goodies are in them but those aren't stem cells either that's just the lysate from the stem cells
1: right if you think of the cells as like little grapes they just smash up the grapes and they they fill they put the juice in there right exactly but to get it to work you kind of need the stem cells to be like a full grape the other part that i find is baffling to me is the plant stem cells that are in skincare, right These are stem cells that come from plants, and they have the potential to grow stems and leaves and fruits. So why would anyone think that a plant stem cell is going to help them improve the appearance and condition of their skin? It just seems nonsensical to me, right?
0: So nonsensical I laughed. I apologize for that. No, that's
1: that's perfect. (laughs) Perfectly fine. So the reason companies put plant stem cells in formula is because... They can claim that the product has stem cells in it, which I guess consumers like. And those ingredients can actually be obtained inexpensively. Human stem cells would probably be pretty pricey and I suspect they'd be a bit illegal, right?
0: Yeah, <clears throat> can you even do that? I,
1: I don't think you can take human tissue and put it in uh, in cosmetic products. It'd be hard to get that through the safety testing.
0: Yeah, mm, not good, move on.
1: But you know, marketers probably figure that uh, you put the word stem cell in there, it doesn't matter. It is <laughs> the word stem cells, right? And some cons- some consumers will buy that. If stem cells really work the way that they're promised, the treatment would, it would be beyond cosmetic. This would be a drug product, right? And it, this might happen in the next 20 years. We might have creams that actually do have these functions, and they might come from your own stem cells. But the stuff we're getting right now, eh, they're not really working. All right, Valerie, why don't we move on to the next question? This one comes to us from Kelly.
0: All right, so Kelly asked us, what hair dyes cover gray hair the best? So I want to start out by telling everyone that hair dye is actually the oldest anti-aging technology. It's historically been used to cover gray hairs so that people's hair color can be restored to what it was in their youth. And in modern day, if people are looking for a little change or something different, it can be used there. But the primary reason people color their hair is it's gray, and they don't want it to be gray anymore. Covering gray hair can be a challenge, and before we go into what hair dyes cover gray the best, it's helpful to understand why gray hair is so hard to color. When hair ages and loses the color out of the bulb into the fiber, it tends to have a different look to it. If you've ever seen someone with gray hair, maybe it appears a little more wiry and stiff. Harry, do you have this experience?
1: Uh, I'm just starting to get a few on the side, but I don't. I don't actually have a lot. I should have more based on my age. But yeah, like I had I did some research on hair tresses and things, and we would test gray hair tresses. And uh, yeah, they, you see the the flyaways, although. I always suspected that it was just since it's a different color, um, it's kind of just a flyaway thing is more obvious. And so like if you have just all brown hair, you'll have these flyaways, but you don't really notice them as much as like if there's this one big white hair, <laughs> you know, so.
0: I, I think that's part of it, the natural physics of it all. But I also think, and there's some research that indicates and one thing and another, that gray hair can physiologically be a little different and they're pretty stubborn. So maybe you'll get some gray hair and it's easy to color. And then one day the same hair color being applied to just doesn't seem to stick as well. And that's when I say the gray hair has gone plastic. It has this plasticky look. So it's really important to make sure that you're using the appropriate colorant to color it. So Uh, There's three types of hair dyes, semi-permanent, demi-permanent, and permanent, and they all use a different method to go into the hair fiber. Semi-permanent dyes are just that. They don't last very long. They're semi-permanent, and they tend to stick to the exterior of the hair fiber, so you're not going to get a lot of penetration, but you'll get some temporary coverage, and that doesn't sound like it's the best thing to cover gray hair. The next category is demi-permanent. So we're getting a little more permanency here. Most brands say it lasts four to six weeks of coverage. Uh, These colors tend to be ammonia-free and a little more gentle on the hair fiber. So you will get some penetration of the dye into the fiber. But if you've gone plastic, as I like to say, you're not going to get a lot of penetration. So the best bet is the most intense type of hair dye, permanent hair color, to cover greys. This okay. color has lots of ammonia in it. Of course it has lots of dye, and you're gonna get maximum penetration of the dye into the hair fiber.
1: So those will work the best for you if you want your hair color to look look the best and last the longest.
0: Exactly. If you don't uh, make sure that you follow the directions and use the hair color as instructed, or your stylist isn't using the best uh, dye selection for you, you'll look good the day you do your color, but then it'll wash quickly. You want to make sure that the you're following the correct timing principle and using the correct type of hair dye to cover the grays. And you can get that at the store yourself with box color or through a salon professional.
1: Yeah, the box colors work that you get at the store work uh, just as good as the stuff you can get at the salon, huh?
0: Yeah, it's all the same chemistry. Hair color technology has relatively been the same over the last 150 years, which is fine. I like to think that the best chemistry was discovered first. And no matter what brand, no matter what location, it's all the same technology. But if you're looking for a certain look or you're having challenges covering your gray, sometimes it's best to call in the pros who are licensed professionals.
1: And, and I always thought this like, trying to put it on yourself seems very complicated.
0: It's very messy. I've, I've stained a lot of bathroom sinks doing it myself.
1: Indeed, indeed. All right, there you go, gray hair. Uh, let's look at our next question here. This one comes to us from Kim. Kim says, why do people think all natural is better? Valerie, do you think generally people think all natural is better?
0: Unfortunately, I think that is the perception Whether it's true or not is a different story.
1: Yeah, there's certainly a natural trend out there in the beauty industry. um, And it takes on such names like green beauty or organic beauty or natural beauty. And the latest one, uh, of course, is clean beauty. Have you heard clean beauty?
0: Ugh, I hate that term. (laughs) What does that even mean? I don't know.
1: The opposite of dirty beauty? I don't know. (laughs) But essentially, all of these phrases are really meant to imply that this new type of cosmetics is somehow more safe for consumers. Uh, They also try to imply that the products are somehow better for you and they work better. To me, this is all just really misleading marketing. Exactly. But, so the question is, why do people think that natural is somehow better? And I think there are a few reasons. First, there is this thing in philosophy called the appeal to nature. This is just a type of argument that says something is good because it's natural or something is bad because it's unnatural. Now, of course, it's easy to demonstrate that this notion is false. You know, just think of things like poison ivy or snake venom or even anthrax. But, you know, many people still, they just kind of ignore those things and they kind of just accept it as a fact. A a surprising number of people do. And then, so with people kind of primed to believe these claims, advertisers really take advantage of it. You see it all the time with companies making these free-from claims or these 100% all-natural claims. To me, the worst is the chemical-free claims. (laughs) You know, everything's made of chemicals.
0: Oh, that's the worst. I hate that. Yeah, and and these claims, they just are implying
1: that something natural must be better for you. And when people are constantly told by advertisers that natural is better than synthetic, they're just going to start believing it.
0: And it's hard to change their minds, too, once they have that mindset.
1: Yeah, exactly. And then you add to this, like, uh, complicit media who is always looking for a story about some ne- wonder natural product that maybe some scientist wasn't even involved in creating. You know, I, I, it, it always baffles me how uh, how people can brag about them not being having any technical knowledge and creating something that that's some supposed to be some sort of badge of honor or something. But those kinds of stories, they just, I guess they just make more compelling stories. And there's the things that the media wants to write about and people are going to click on,
0: right? Yeah. Well, what looks prettier, a beautiful field of flowers or a chemical reactor? My challenge with the all natural claim is that when people say that they're using coconut based uh, cleansers in their product, etc., those types of claims where they're calling out an ingredient class and saying it has natural roots like corn-based thickeners, etc. What people aren't realizing is that no one's standing over this vessel that's made the shampoo and grated or scraped some coconut flakes in. All of these plants that are being referred to start out as feedstock and they go through chemical synthesis and engineering to become the final ingredient that has some sort of function in the product.
1: Another reason I think in the United States at least there's this tendency for people to not trust corporations. You know they see big corporations as the one that makes synthetic things and you know natural products are made by these these nice little mom-and-pop shops and nice little companies right?
0: Oh that's interesting.
1: I think some of that is because in our country, there was big tobacco where, uh, the tobacco companies certainly did manipulate science and th- they did stuff that was untrustworthy. <laughs> but some people have just kind of made that like all oh, corporations must be like that, right? Now, it's false, of course. In fact, you know, some of the biggest natural brands are made by big companies. People don't really know that necessarily, right? And we'll have, sometimes they'll have to do a show on uh, looking at the big companies and all these independent brands that they produce, you know.
0: I think people are very surprised when they learn that their brand is owned by a big conglomerate who employs nothing but corporate shills at the helm.
1: Yeah, <laughs> go figure. Now, there's also this uh, notion that natural ingredients are somehow better for the environment or more sustainable you know, some are, some aren't, or that natural ingredients are better for indigenous populations and farmers. Again, sometimes they are, sometimes they really aren't. And there are also these people who want to buy into this natural trend who genuinely think that natural products are safer just because they're natural. And of course, that doesn't make them uh, them safe. So those are just a few reasons that I think people prefer natural products or say they are you know the reality is uh in most cases natural is not better
0: exactly and I, th- I think we've you know reviewed some cases and maybe some of our listeners could come up with some of their own suggestions of where natural is not better
1: <laughs> yes exactly all right we've got one more question to cover this one's uh on you valerie
0: more hair so shireen asked if silicone damages curly hair Excellent question. Going back to some of the free-from claims that we've talked about, we're starting to see the language silicone-free pop up on uh, bottles of products, and whether or not they're good-bad, it's certainly becoming a consumer preference, but the one thing I don't like when people use that language is um, silicones encompass a big class of molecules. Um, It's not just one type of ingredient, and I think it's important to distinguish the types of things that silicones do and the different types that there are. And uh, we'll start by talking about where silicone comes from. Do you know where it comes from, Perry? Uh,
1: I always thought it just came from the beach, right? Just digging up sand? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
0: silicone comes from sand and of course you know we're not pouring sand into our shampoo bottles or our favorite face creams but the sand is going through um, a chemical reaction using lots of heat and pressure to convert it to the basic building blocks of silicones which Whoa. are so the silicone a monomers
1: so wait a second you're telling me silicone is natural
0: it has natural origins yes just like coconut based cleansers
1: <laughs> and petroleum too
0: <laughs> and and petroleum, right. So um, we we get the sand in this reactor, and it's all the engineers listening to the show will probably murder me. They're like go back <laughs> to the lab. but uh, so we make these basic building blocks of silicone that exist as these chains, and we can turn them into cyclomethacones of various kinds. Maybe you've heard of or read on your products, cyclopentasiloxane or cyclotetrasiloxane those are called cyclic silicones. And then we can make these silicones that we call linear silicones, which are not cyclic, they're not in a circle, and we can add all sorts of other molecules to them to functionalize them. So functionalize, meaning we have a need, we add an atom to this silicone chain, and it gives it a function to serve that need.
1: Better living through chemistry.
0: Better living through chemistry. So when we say you know, are silicones, do they damage curly hair? My first question would be, well, what silicones are you thinking of and, and why do you think that? So cyclic silicones tend to be very volatile. They're very light. They uh, volatilize into the atmosphere and they, they're not really left behind. So we, we won't talk about those. But in terms of the other silicones that are used in hair care, they all have different functions. Some of them protect color from washing out of the hair others provide thermal protection, others provide styling, others help the hair feel conditioned or detangle. So a lot of them have different functions. I think uh, one of the biggest silicones that people don't like to read about is, hmm, Perry, can you help me out here? What's the one that's typically Uh-oh. used for color protection? Uh, what did we get? Dimethicone? I am a dimethicone. So Yeah, it's uh, a dimethicone that's been functionalized with the ammo portion and it helps repel water from the hair and thus prevents water from coming into the hair and washing dyes out. So it's fairly substantive and I think that's why people think uh, silicones build up and leave a residue in the hair, but not all silicones do that. And I think when people try hair products without silicone, they're really disappointed uh, by what they feel because of the specialization that we can give to silicones
1: i spent a lot of time in my formulating career uh, making uh, shampoos and conditioners and you know the go-to ingredient in uh, like a conditioning shampoo is dimethicone because dimethicones are they they make the hair shiny they make it slick so it's easy to comb it feels good i mean silicones are a very cool ingredient and they don't have that tackiness or that greasy feeling that you get from oils, some hydrocarbon oils.
0: No, I love silicones. They're great.
1: Yeah, that's, that's kind of why we as formulators use them. Now, how silicones got a bad reputation? I, I don't know. I think, uh, I, we used to get questions about pantene and whether pantene was leaving plastic on their hair and, uh, stylists would tell people that, oh, if you're using Pantene, you're putting plastic on your hair. And they were saying the silicone was the plastic. It, it was a bit confused.
0: Talk about a game of telephone. How did that happen?
1: <laughs> I don't know. But I think, you know, on, on some level, the, the stylists kind of want you to buy the, they don't want you to buy store brands. They want you to buy the brands that they sell in their salons. So you can understand uh, that they they might have a, a have a dog in this fight. So their information might not be completely unbiased.
0: <laughs> yeah so bottom line i don't believe that silicones damage curly hair i actually think they help curly hair and help prevent reduce uh, breakage assist with styling all that so Shireen, you don't have to worry if you see silicones in your products
1: all right thank you valerie boy I'm looking at time we have talked the hell out of this show huh
0: yeah sorry about that <laughs> no i have no. a lot to say
1: that is that is not a problem at all uh, we didn't get where is a question we didn't get to we'll save that for next time and, uh, I just want to remind everybody, uh, the, the Beauty Brains are on Twitter. So feel free to follow us on Twitter and we're going to get back to more active posting there, but uh, look for that. Of course, you can follow us on our Facebook page. We're on that. And the, we're on the all new, uh, Beauty Brains uh, account on Instagram. So it's. It's The Beauty Brains 2018 on Instagram. So feel free to go there. And we've got some good stuff being published on Instagram right now. So uh, very, very cool. Uh, if you like the show, feel free to go to iTunes and give us a review. And let us know what you think of the new format, new hosts, uh, <laughs> new setup. We're still experimenting. And, uh, yeah, that's all I got. You got anything else, Valerie?
0: No, I just want to thank everyone for listening to us on this show and allowing us to be on our soapbox and spread the word about how great cosmetic science is.
1: Okay, and that brings us to the end. Thank you so much, Valerie. It was great talking to you, and we'll, uh, we'll catch you next time. Thank you all for listening. And uh, this is what Randy would say, and be brainy about your beauty. But he's God, so I'm just going to go with thanks for stopping by.
0: And I'm going to say until next time, everyone, thank you.